keeping you up to date on the world of social media. Industry experts, innovators, creators, storytellers, and the latest social media tools, tips, and tactics. This is Social Media News Live. Hello, folks. Welcome to Social Media News Live. I'm Jeff C. And you're not. And I'm Connor Brown. And this is the show that keeps you up to date on what's happening in the world of social media and more. Ever pondered the intricacies of crafting a standout LinkedIn profile? Maybe you're intrigued by the strategies that differentiate a novice from an actual LinkedIn expert or maybe you're on the hunt for some actionable tips to elevate your LinkedIn game. If these thoughts strike a chord, you're in for an enlightening session today. We are elated to introduce a guest who's mastered the art of LinkedIn networking and branding. She is a beacon of LinkedIn wisdom. She transforms professionals into platform powerhouses. Beth Granger is going to share her experiences, her wisdom, and her golden guidelines for taking LinkedIn to the next level. So sit back, clear your schedule, clear your minds, and get ready for this week's edition of Social Media News Live. Beth, how are you doing today? This is so exciting for me. I'm, I'm just a big fan. I love that intro. I need to take that clip and just use it everywhere. That can be my introduction when I'm speaking. It could be anything. I love oh, it. Well, I do want to do like a, a really serious introduction because if you don't know who Beth Granger is, you need to follow her uh, wherever you see her name pop up because she's a trainer. She's a consultant and a speaker who works with organizations and individuals who want to unleash the power of LinkedIn. And she does take them from confused to confident on the platform. She's uh, an exactly what to say certified guy helping people identify and elevate life's critical conversations. Her clients call her part friend, part consultant, part confidant, and a sales enabler and a LinkedIn oracle. And LinkedIn recognizes Beth's skills and frequently asks her to be a beta tester for features of things that you may have heard about, like LinkedIn Live, LinkedIn Audio, and the newsletter. So Beth, once again, thank you so, so much for being on the show. Our friend Peg Fitzpatrick just couldn't say enough nice things about you. So I'm, I'm so excited that we were able to put this together. Well, it's great to be here. Thank you. So we're going to be uh, diving in. But first of all, I want to just do a big shout out to our friends over at Ecamm. They're the ones who sponsored the show. You can find out more about them at socialmediannewslive.com forward slash Ecamm. They're what make the show uh, come together. Ecamm 4.1 is now available. It's got some really cool new features, some awesome new overlays, a transition or two. And just make sure you guys uh, check that out. And also, I'm getting ready to go to their meetup next week. And they have their creator camp. And Ian Anderson Gray and I are actually going to be doing a meetup together the day after. So if you'd like to be a part of that, even if you don't go to the, the creator camp, you can come meet uh, Ian and I, talk some shop, have some fun, have some drinks. Go to jeffc.com forward slash meetup to find out more about that. So, all right, we're going to dive right into these LinkedIn landmines, which I actually stole from a Beth's. Uh, she had a webinar that she had, and I thought that was such a good name. That's going to be the title of the show. So we're going to tell you what not to do on LinkedIn, but, um, you know, one one of the things that a lot of people, you know, struggle about, especially like if you're a social media marketer or small business owner or solopreneur, Beth, I want to know how can they strike kind of the right balance between promoting their services and generally connecting with potential clients on LinkedIn? Yeah, that's that's a great question because people always wonder, they don't want to be too salesy, they don't want to be too pushy, but yet they're there for a reason. Uh, I like to always think about it as a conversation. So whether you're having a conversation with somebody <clears throat> through the DMs or through their content or through the content that you share, if you think about it that way first, 
Mm. I don't think you'll get into trouble with being too salesy because if you're sharing, for instance, a post that's educational or shares something new about the industry that you're in, people will say, wait a minute, this person knows a lot about that topic. How can I work with them? So you don't have to always be overtly promotional, just the mm -hmm. content that you share. If it's educational, inspirational, or just interesting, it'll awesome. do that for you. I think because we've all seen those people who don't do that. <laughs> it's like, and they they kind of come at you either really too hard or really, really vague. So, um, I, and I, I'm sure we're going to get into that and, and talk a little bit more about that. But I, I guess that's one of the things um, as a podcaster. And also since I do like Guy Kawasaki's, I produce his and edit his show. I get a lot of people pitching me and you can tell that they never have even, they don't even know what the podcast is about. They say, we're a big fan. And then there's it's totally has nothing to connect with anything that I do ever. Yeah. So, I mean, why do people still do that, Beth? I mean, I don't understand it. Like, does it work really at all? I do not understand it either. <laughs> okay. and I think there are probably two types of people. There's one where they're just looking for any shortcut and they want to blast it out there. And if they get one person, that's great. Mm -hmm. Um, and then there are the other people that have just been advised poorly and they don't know better. So um, the people who are just looking to do whatever they can, we're going to ignore them. And uh, the other people, maybe we can bring them on board and teach them what to do instead. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, that's very interesting. And I think it, to your point, it goes back to that connecting with people. And on LinkedIn, one of the big things is connections, right? Um, on most profiles, you can follow someone and that's simple as clicking a button. But if you want to connect with them so that you can talk one to one, uh, you have to connect with them. Connection requests without personalized messages often go ignored. And I think rightly so. You get a whole bunch of random ones. You're not sure how you're connected. Um, so you want to add in a personal note, especially if you're only a secondary or, or tertiary uh, uh, connection to that person. So Beth, what are some key elements of, of creating compelling connection request messages and focusing mainly on how small business owners and, and content creators can make an impact with those requests? Well, before we talk about that, I do have to let you know that it looks like LinkedIn is considering limiting the number of personalized connection requests you can send to mm. 10 a month for people okay. with the free account. So that will be interesting, problematic. I hope they don't do it. In any case, in terms of introducing yourself, I actually like to start with can I get an introduction? If somebody's a second connection, can a common connection introduce us rather than me introducing myself? That's always much more powerful. If I'm going to introduce myself, however, maybe there are some things I can do to so that they're aware of me first. If they share content, what if I engage with their content? What if I ask them an honest, authentic question about that content? What are they going to do? They're going to write back or respond in some way. Then if I send them a connection request, I would mention that post. Thank you so much for answering my question about whatever it was. How about we connect? So so the, the ones that you get that are obviously automated or just they've yeah. never visited your page and you can tell, I don't respond to those. So mm. be authentic. 
Yeah. So, I, so a great example of that is like, you know, uh, Peg Fitzpatrick introduced us to uh, each other. And then we had talked uh, because you mentioned you love sci-fi earlier uh, when we were talking. And we had talked about Wool, which is the, the book that um, Silo is based off of the, the Apple um, thing. And then we we're like talking, which you like better the book or whatever. So there's that connection even inside of LinkedIn. We were doing this through LinkedIn messaging. But that was like. Okay, we have this connection spot. It wasn't just like, hey, I'm Beth. I'm awesome at LinkedIn. Let me be on your show. We had talked a little bit before about, hey, you know, what did you like the book better? And I thought, man, it was a really good job. And you said, yeah, but it's, you know, I see it in my mind different. You know, all that stuff that where we connect on a, a personal level. And I just think those kind of connections are what really, really resonate. And then, you know, like, okay, how can I get Beth on my show, you know, and all this kind of stuff, because that's that personal connection. One of the things that I do want to do a shout out to uh, some of the people who I do have personal connections about, uh, Dustin Stout is here waving, who is amazing. And also, uh, Jim Fuse is uh, from Fusion Marketing. He's watching over on YouTube saying, good morning, everyone. Uh, Jeff Young says, there, there are two types of people, Beth, those who put in the work and those who don't. <laughs> so that's really, really good. And our pal, Lumangelo, who we just saw, uh, he says he loves oh, Connor. Yeah. Oh, and secondly, he just because he's, he likes me too. So. <laughs> um, so this is a great question from Jonathan. He goes, the premium version of the platform is an obstacle for me. How do I uh, ball in a budget and get the most engagement possible out of the free version? Which is a great question. Yeah. Yeah. And, and honestly, I don't, right now, there doesn't seem to be enough in the premium version compared to the free version for people to pay for it because mm. many of the features you can get for instance linkedin learning most people can get through their library things like that now sales navigator that may be worth it depending on your role but if you're not already using all the features and being stopped from doing things maybe you've done too many searches in a month or whatever it is you don't need to pay for that version it really there's so much you can do in the free version, whether it's engaging with people's posts, whether it's introducing people, sharing your own content. So unless you're really hitting roadblocks that having additional features would fix. Right. Yeah. yeah it's, I, and it's pretty yeah. pricey. <laughs> so I've never done it myself. So, uh, but I know some of the LinkedIn experts I have. So I, I want to go back a little bit to, um, the the topic of like tag so like i've i've had like jim has been on here before lou's been on the show and i repurpose the clips and i post them to linkedin and but i always try to at mention the person who's on my show so how can you know but some people will tag you on stuff and you're like i'm not i don't even know what you're talking about like i'm not i don't know you and you called me into this and what and, and then you're yeah. and then you get upset right um so this tagging indiscriminate tagging can be seen as spammy. So how can content creators use tagging effectively to promote their content without like alienating their connections that they've got? Yeah, well, you're doing it right. So if, if there's a legitimate reason, right, you had a conversation with somebody, mm -hmm. you were at an event with somebody, it absolutely makes sense to tag someone. But what people are trying to do when they tag you with no reason is they're trying to get you to engage with their content and therefore your network may see it. So you're essentially spreading the word about whatever they're talking about. Right. And I, the first time this happened to me, it was somebody I knew, but had just met and they started tagging me on every post they did. 
So if it was about LinkedIn, maybe that makes sense, but it could have been about, I just learned how to change a tire tag Beth. <laughs> so I actually had to say to them, can you stop tagging me on all these things? There, if what you're trying to do is get people to see your content, there are other things you can do. You can send somebody a direct message. Hey, you know, I just shared this thing you might be interested in. Here's the link. Right. But really for tagging, you only want to do it when it makes sense, when there's a reason for it. Can, can you remove yourself? Like on Facebook, like when somebody yeah. tags you, you can remove yourself. Can you do that also on LinkedIn? Well, I, I'm, hopefully I'm describing it properly, but you can your name will still show as text, but it won't be a live link. So um, it's kind of like on Instagram, how people tag you randomly. Uh, Most of the time, it's people that I know that are doing it wrong, not random strangers. So Uh, then I just reach out and say, hey, you know, maybe you want to do it this way. So uh, Jim says, yes, he goes, I get tired of people tagging me in their comments on live streams that I don't have time for. I hope I've never done that, Jim. Uh, But, and he can just, they can just send me an event invite. So let's even go there. Like when should you do an event invite? Cause those can also get annoying. Like if you're not, you know, so, so what's kind of your rule of thumb of sending somebody, if you're doing an event, you're doing a training or whatever Mm -hmm. to send people in event invites. So I do send event invites pretty broadly. I try to pick people that I think would be interested in it. Mm-hmm. And when I get invites that I'm not, I just ignore them. So um, mm-hmm. I, I don't think you can not send them. You want people to be aware right. of it. But right. Of course, the invites sometimes get lost. So I'm always going to promote an event in multiple ways. I'm going to promote it through my email list, through the invite, through other social media platforms. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Cause you, you want people at your event, but you also don't want to be annoying. So I guess if you're doing a, so I do, so I don't send them for this show, right? Like I could, but I think, cause it's a weekly show that would get annoying. Am I doing it right? Or should I invite people like once a month? Yeah. I mean, what would your thoughts be on this? See, once again, folks, free consulting. Here we go. <laughs> what my thought is, I would love it actually linkedin if you're listening please i would love it if people could subscribe to Mm. a recurring event just the way you can subscribe to a newsletter Mm. because how great would that be it's the the invite feature in events is actually really problematic you can't make yourself a list and re-invite those same people if they've attended or expressed interest and I'd even love to have the all filters search to be able to break down my network to invite people that I think would be interested. So, yeah. So Connor, I'm going to one before you get to your question, I got one more for it because I, it's the newest kind of trend. It seems to be is people are creating newsletters on LinkedIn and then I get an invite for all those as well. So best practices for newsletter invites, because I mean, I, I can see the value, like in some of I've subscribed to, like, I, you know, Andy Cressadina is an incredible SEO guy. And I, anything that comes out of his mouth, I want to listen to because he's so smart. Um, so those kind of things, but like, I get some really random like invites that I'm connected that I, I didn't even know I was connected to these people and yeah. it's for their newsletter. So best practices to send those out. Well, I'll tell you why that's happening only on the first newsletter edition the very first time that you send one it will invite your entire network everyone you're connected with and anyone who follows you to subscribe only that first one so that's why you're getting so many of them Mm -hmm. 
Um, and then it puts it in your featured section so that people, when they visit your profile, if they want to subscribe, they can, but it's not a manual process. It just, it just happens. Yeah. Okay. That's not very cool. LinkedIn. Come on. What's going on? Uh, we do have our friend, uh, Peg Fitzpatrick popped in over on YouTube saying better late than ever. Hello everyone. Thanks Peg for, uh, coming by and also introducing me to Beth. So this is really, really cool. All right, Connor, go ahead. So one of the things that I always fear, and this is in my everyday life, is coming off as too pushy, right? Or or being annoying, right? I, I think about it all the time, especially when I'm about to ha- uh, send out a message. I'm like, is this just going to be annoying? Is this going to hit their <laughs> inbox or whatever? They're going to be like, oh, this guy. So when it comes to those things, what are some common pitfalls that, that you see time and time again, Beth, when it comes to professionals, especially those small business owners, coming off as too pushy or, or aggressive um, in their outreach and, and how can they avoid those pitfalls? Yeah, it's the same thing happens in person, right? I always, whenever you're wondering whether to do something on LinkedIn, just imagine you were in a room full of people. Would you say that same thing to somebody or would they walk away? Yeah. I think that's a really great way to start. Yeah. <laughs> but And it's also, it depends on what your goal is. So are you reaching out to someone that you don't know yet and you're introducing yourself or is it somebody that you know and you're trying to have a sales conversation or anything in between? I think acknowledging the differences between those kinds of conversations is really important. I love that. I think it's so, so important because we talk about that all the time too. Like, you know, if you're going to, you wouldn't say it to them in person, in their face, then you probably shouldn't say it you know or whatever it is um so i think that that's really really important keeping that personal aspect to social networking yeah yeah that's true so um we do have a a great question from janet and this is back on the newsletter uh when we were talking about that because it i think everyone has the same thing it's like what about people who connect with you uh like after the fact can they subscribe to your linkedin newsletter is it only in your uh you, you said it was in the feature section do you do you remind people, is it best practice to like go back and like every, you know, once a month going by, by the way, I have this email newsletter you can subscribe to on LinkedIn. How do you keep, I guess, people trickling in to sign up on your newsletter? Well, first of all, hi, Janet. Great to see you. Um, there are a couple of ways that when you do a newsletter, you'll do a post. So your network may see it because okay. it becomes a post about that. Um, yes. If you, you can, put it in a little call to action on your post there. Certainly you can bring it up. Um, but I think most people will see it because people comment on it and then more people will see the content. Um, just like promoting any other thing, promoting an email newsletter, promoting something else, you can sneak it into different places so that people find out about it, especially if it's a topic that you think somebody's going to be really interested in, you can send it. So. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, um, one of the things that I wanted to ask is like, so I just did a t- big talk about AI. There's a lot of new tools coming out. I mean, it's just, AI is going to be like um, autocorrect in searches. Like it's just going to be there. So how can we use some of these tools that are really, really cool? They can speed up some process. They can save us some time. But, you know, a lot of these automa- automation tools, they promise efficiency, but they can be risky because, you know, you lose kind of that magic of you talking like we talked about, you know, we, you and I talked about uh, the books that we like and, you know, wool and silo and all that. So how can we use these tools uh, 
without losing authenticity? Yeah. So to me, there are two types. There are tools that attempt to automate conversation and relationships. Those I would not use. Mm -hmm. And first of all, some of them are against the terms of service and can get you locked out of your account forever. So the kinds that will promise to connect you, look at however many profiles and connect with however many people, do not use those. The tools for developing content and sharing content, however, those can be interesting, but I would never take what a tool gives me directly and just share that. That's going to reduce the quality of communication. (laughs) People keep doing that because then that becomes the content that the tools use. Um, So if you have writer's block and you need some ideas of a place to start, sure. Um, I've been playing with recently tools to upload a video, a longer form video, and then have it chop it up and add captions and things like that. Haven't found one that I love 100% yet. But I, so I think for content development, there's some interesting stuff going on, but you can't automate relationships. Yeah. That I think that is a key right there is you can't automate relationships. Um, they won't know that. So what I told uh, in this conference is like, AI doesn't give you wisdom. Like it can recombine things. It can help you do things faster, but it's not going to provide, it can, it can help you brainstorm things, but it's not going to like provide you a lot of wisdom. So I think that connection that that you just mentioned is a key. One of the things that somebody mentioned to me when we were chatting at the conferences, there's these tools that actually can go into LinkedIn and strip emails of like the, the contacts. Okay. Talk about that because you're seeing shaking your head. Why is that bad? Yeah. Well, first of all, it's uh, these scraping tools are against the terms of service. Mm-hmm. And if they discover you're using them, no more LinkedIn. And mm-hmm. what would that do for you? Right. Um, so I would even some of these tools will say that they're approved. They're not. Gotcha. Let's go that way. There are tools that are approved for things like um, sharing content, you know, Hootsuite. And, right, and right, tools right. Like that. But but the tools that that scrape emails. It's, it's up to you if you want to take the risk, but I wouldn't. That's a great point. Uh, and always, so you can usually go into like LinkedIn and find out their approved vendors or their approved, uh, you know, things always use those. Cause you're right, Beth, they'll say that, yeah, we have approval and this doesn't break terms of service. Don't take their word for it. Go into what LinkedIn says their, you know, official partners are and use that. Cause uh, we had the same thing happen with a lot of people over on Pinterest who were using a tool and it, they got booted, like it kicked them out. So that's not good. Um, so, um, so we're talking about, uh, some AI tools and Jim goes, Magi is the way, which it is. It is an amazing tool. And Dustin, the creator of Magi said, yes, I stepped away. That's why you don't step away, Dustin, because we min- may mention Magi at any moment. So you need to stay glued to this show. Um, and Jeff said there was a specific, we were talking about newsletters. You said there's a specific link to your newsletter that you can put anywhere you want to promote it. So that is great uh, as cool. well. Thank you, Jeff, for that. So um, I want to dive in next to crafting a profile because that's kind of where everything starts. And by the way, go to Beth's uh, profile over on LinkedIn. She has a great one. It looks really, really nice. I'm going to take a lot of tips just from looking at that. But what do you, you know, a lot of our, our listeners are doing everything like they are content creators or small business owners. Uh, they're having to put out everything and you know, how can they 
how can you put like you're a jack of all trades in LinkedIn? Like, you know what? Because a lot of us are, we're doing all the hats. We're the marketing team. We're this and we, we also produce and all this other stuff. How do you say that in a way when you're a solopreneur and you're, you're wanting to get business in from LinkedIn, but you don't want to seem like, you know, I do everything. You can't really put that in your profile. So what do you tell those type of people? Beth? Well, again, imagine you're in a room and you just met somebody and they say, Hey, what do you do? What do you say to them? So maybe you say I'm a jack of all trades, but maybe you say something else and think about when you say what you say, which things get a reaction, which things do people understand? When do people look confused and say, what does that mean? And, and that helps you, I think, in how you introduce yourself, perhaps with your headline, things like that. Plus the about section is an amazing place to tell your story, to tell that story of why you do multiple things. And I don't think it's as confusing as it might seem, especially if you're consistent with the content that you share. Mm. That's yeah. really, really good. Yeah. I like yeah. And, and I know you mentioned the importance of the about section. So I kind of want to follow that up with crafting a compelling story within that. I know, I think you focus on the importance of crafting that about section in the first person. Because that can be tough for people because it can be a little challenging to talk about yourself and put yourself in this perfect light and try to attract the people that you want to attract to it. So when you do have a, a lot of hats, and I know it's a, a what you would kind of elevator pitch almost in person, but what are some other tips around that about section? And because it just seems so crucial. It's really the yeah. first part of your, your profile, right? Well, you can... You, it's a great place to tell your story. And I think of it as a story. Uh, mm. I wish I remembered who, who it was, but there was someone, and I didn't get a screenshot, who started there about with, I've been in sales since my first lemonade stand. Well, that makes <laughs> me want to read further. Like, you know, how many people came? How much did you charge? I want to know more, right? So starting with something compelling and then being able to, just like you would in a conversation, say, I'm involved in all these aspects and, and I love it. Or for me, if I was going to do it that way, I might say I have bright, shiny ob object syndrome and I admit it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then continue with what I'm saying. So how, cause I I've heard different, you know, there's some people who are like very corporate, like they're, yeah. I, this is how I do my about page. And then there's other people who kind of do it more towards what you're saying is this really storytelling style. Um, do you lean more? I mean, cause I know some people feel like, okay, I'm working for this company and I can't really show that I like to read books and I'm a big fan of the, the, the wool series, for example. So where's the balance in that? Like, how do you, what, you know, you're worried about what your job, you know, your boss thinks, and then what you need to really craft to get more people to engage with you on LinkedIn. Yeah, that is a dilemma. And I feel bad for people who are in that situation. Um, and there are actually people who have regulation around what they can say, you know, financial services and things. But if you just happen to work for a company, you still can get your personality in the way that you write things. And maybe at the end of your about where you say, when I'm not working, I like to, or mm -hmm. something like that. So I know it can be a challenge. And for people who have their own business or consultants, that kind of thing, we have a lot more freedom to mm. share our true personality. And I know it can be hard for people that work for other companies. Right. Uh, one of the, this is a great question um, that I want to pull up is this is from Annette. She goes, yes, but it's so important to be clear about what you do, Beth, working on this myself. And one of the things that I've seen a lot of people 
that have done it and I haven't, I have not yet, but they have, when you roll over their photo, it has the video, right? Mm -hmm. And I, and I'm not sure exactly Beth, how long you have to talk. What do you suggest for using that space? Because it seems it's very engaging. It's like almost like Harry Potter when they had the newspapers and people started, you know, just moving inside of there. What do you suggest to use that space for? I'm sad to have to share this. That feature is gone. So it is, but some ability, people still have it, right? Don't they? Yes. So if okay. you had one on whatever day it was that they stopped it, that is still there. So mine is still there, but you can no longer upload a new one. So mm. I'm kind of wondering how long they'll keep it. So I actually, the day before they did it, quickly made a new video saying, what can I say here that will apply right, right. Months yeah. from now, three years from now? So unfortunately, yeah, that feature's gone, but I think people can do it in another way. They can do a similar video and actually it can be longer because that was only 30 seconds mm -hmm. and they can put it in as the first spot or one of the first three spots in their featured section. So an yeah. introductory uh, okay. video. Okay. That, that makes sense because yeah. that, I mean, it was very engaging and I saw people still have it and I knew that was a big deal when it rolled out. Um, wow. That's, that's kind of disappointing. Now I'm sad that yeah. I waited too long. Breaking <laughs> all the news today. Yeah. I get, well, I mean, I, I, I just, I, because I thought it was still going because you still see people like I saw Beth's so and I'm like, that's really, really cool. Um, so six twenty six twenty three is what Jeff said. Oh, very sad. So we just missed the cutoff date. So, oh, well, um, but your idea. So, so how long would you recommend say like, oh, I wanted to have a video. I missed it. Like Mr. Jeff here did. Um, how long should that intro be and what should you cover? Like what is it just like, Hey, I do this, this, and this, or would you be even more personable? Cause this, this talk about pressure, this can be really hard. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually um, did a talk for the how design live conference a few years ago and found some amazing profile videos to share. Mm -hmm. Some were, they, they were produced. It was like a, a mini commercial or a mini video. And then others were just simply people talking to the screen. And I think they all work as long okay. as they fit your personality. Um, we all know we, there's that dichotomy of we have no attention span and yet we'll binge watch TV right. for hours. So right. in terms of the length, as long as it takes you to tell your story and people don't get bored and run away from it. Yeah. Um, so would you recommend, so like our, we mentioned, we had talked earlier about our friend uh, Ramon Ray, who is a speaker. He does a great job MC and stuff. Would you suggest that featured video be his speaker reel? Would that make sense? Or would it, you need to make it more personal than that? So different people do different things with that okay. featured section. And for him, absolutely having his sizzle reel there might be a good thing to do mm -hmm. or keeping it current with what you're up to. So if you're promoting an event, maybe, maybe the video or the, or whatever the post is in that first spot is something about that. And that's, what's great about that section is that you can keep it current. So yeah. uh, I think for Ramon, having his sizzle reel would be a great thing. I don't know if he has it. I'll go look Ramon and I'll let you know. <laughs> that's right. Um, so Annette says that is sad indeed about the videos going away, but talk about the workaround in the feature section. So can you talk about, yeah. some some power tips for the the feature section you mentioned the video what else should we put there because i know i need to update mine yeah it's well so it can be so many things you can put video you can put a pdf you can put if you've done a post that 
got a lot of attention or you really want to highlight and you know the posts go away because you do new posts you can feature a post if you've been quoted in an article or a guest on a podcast you can feature that you can really keep it current with all the things that you're up to and what you want people to see okay that's that's that so um how often would you recommend because I because I haven't done it in a while that you go back and do that is it is that something you do like once a month do you do it like you know every quarter what was your thoughts on updating that spot I know it's, I'm going to say it's going to be an annoying thing answer it depends <laughs> okay so, um, I've had the first three you can have as many as you want but only the first three show mm-hmm. so I've had the same first three for a while now. Um, but I'll change it if there's something specific that I really want to highlight, whatever it might be. Gotcha. And then I, I might take it away. For instance, if I'm promoting an event, right. maybe that'll be in the first spot. And then after the event, I go back to the other version. Yeah. I just always forget about it. That's, that's a great point though, um, about putting what you're doing, like going speaking, or if you have a new course or you're having, you know, the, uh, I, I should probably update it every week with our new guest. Like these people are coming. Beth's going to be on the show. It would have made sense to put it on LinkedIn. So uh, I'm going to have to do that. Uh, start doing a better yeah. job of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just keep going through. Add a recurring task or something. Right. right. Um, so much of LinkedIn is first impressions, right? And so much of business, of course, is first impressions lasting. Typos, uh, misspellings, grammatical errors can set someone off as soon as they see it. Um, it's a huge fear for me because whenever I type an email or a word doc, by the end of it, I look up and it's just all red underlined because I can't spell anything. It's like <laughs> restaurant. I just don't think anyone could be able to spell the word restaurant. There's like four U's in it. Mm-hmm. So that's something that's very near and dear to my heart because I'm terrified of it. So when it comes to those things and the idea that it could be detrimental to your professional image, do you have any tools just beyond the spell check? Um, or strategies that you'd recommend to content creators and and professionals trying to uh, have their LinkedIn content as polished as possible? Well, for your profile, have somebody else look at it because we know what we meant to say. And I hope I don't have one on mine. Maybe I do. I don't know. But so, and also coming back again, it's kind of like when you do a puzzle and suddenly you can't see anything, but if you walk away and come back, it jumps out at you a spot. So, um, having someone else look at it. Of course, there are the tools like Grammarly and things like that, that some people use. Um, And I worry about it less on a post that's going to go away than I do on my profile where people are going to come back again and again and see it. Got it. Yeah. So Janet says that she thinks of the, we're talking about the feature section. She says the feature section as a library bookshelf, which I thought that was great. Like, um, yeah. Uh, and then uh, Jeff says that he goes, he totally agrees, Beth, keep it current. I update mine usually weekly, but keep certain ones in the key spots. So that is a really good piece of advice there. Um, oh, Janet says, read it when we're talking about having it, other people read, but read every sentence aloud backwards from the period. That wow. is a power tip there. Yeah. That <laughs> yeah I wonder if I can do that. Read that or uh, you're just reading backwards. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't do it and walk at the same time. I just fall plumb right. over is what would happen. Yeah, it would be accident waiting to happen. Um, so let's talk a little bit because, this, you know, we're talking about crafting the profile and all the stuff that goes along with that. Let's talk about visuals because 
they pay, play a crucial role in your online branding. So what tips do you have for our viewers and listeners regar- regarding like profile pictures, cover photos, other visual elements on LinkedIn? Because yeah. I've seen some really, really good ones and I've also seen some really, really bad ones. So uh, what, do you, what do you tell people about uh, the visuals that you can create on LinkedIn? Well, first of all, your photo, it needs to be good. It doesn't necessarily need to be taken by a professional photographer, but if you can, it would be better. You certainly don't want it. And I have one as an example, I'm going to blur out the face, but I actually saw one because I use this as my example all the time. And now that I have a, a real one of somebody with their arm around someone and it's chopped off, you know, from like a <laughs> wedding or whatever right. else, right? Don't do that. Um, and then there are some subtle things and that's just my opinion. But when you go to a page and it looks like the person's looking off the page, so mm-hmm. to the left when you're mm-hmm. looking at it, that feels awkward to me. To me, they you should be facing right. straight or looking in. I don't know why. Maybe that's just my thing. The other thing is to absolutely use that space of the background graphic behind your photo because otherwise it's just this empty, it looks like you're never there. It's, it's wasted space if you don't mm. use it. And I think of it as your personal professional billboard. Ooh, I like that professional billboard. So Jeff has a good question. Visuals yeah. to to GIF or not to GIF or GIF, whatever you, however you prefer. Okay. That is the question. So what are your thoughts on that? What's funny is that if you look in the LinkedIn help documentation, it says that you can't use GIFs, GIFs, whichever right. one it is, uh, but you can. And I've actually been using them for the header graphic for my newsletters, I've also made that the primary, at least right now, primary um, content when somebody goes down to my content section. So when they come to that, they see the animation happening. So I don't see why not. Okay, cool. The other question I have is I've seen a lot of profile pictures that are AI now. You can tell that they've used something for an AI. What are your thoughts? Are you using an AI image for your uh, profile photo? If that's the world you're in, you're in the AI space for some reason, maybe. But for the rest of us, I want to know who I'm speaking to. I want to see the actual person. So if I met them for coffee, I would recognize them. Okay. Well, my personal opinion. On that note, I have seen, and this is a speaker that I will not name, but I, you know, I saw their online profiles and everything, and then I met them in person, and that was a lot younger, different one. <laughs> like, it was like, what? This is not the same person kind of a thing. So how, how, how much should we worry on looking good versus like, yeah, I have a beard now. Like, that profile picture without one is, that's outdated. Like, how off, how soon, how far back should we let our profile pictures lapse, I guess. I think if somebody would recognize you in person, then you're fine. I tend to think about getting, when I get new glasses, but I have Mm. multiple pairs, so that wouldn't work necessarily. But if somebody wouldn't recognize you, it's time for a new one. Gotcha. I think that's a good rule of thumb because I was like, that was shocking. I was like, whoa, really? That's you? (laughs) So, um, yeah. Anyway, uh, so uh, real quick, I want to do a shout out to our uh, fabulous sponsors of the show, uh, folks over at Ecamm. I'm so excited to go hang out with them next week at Creator Camp. But you can find out more about them at socialmedianewslive.com forward slash Ecamm. That's what allows us to bring uh, 
Beth in the show. She's we're going to be able to repurpose all this because it's going to have separate uh, uh, audio tracks, separate video tracks. It is a, an amazing tool. You could use it to create your videos that you're going to upload on LinkedIn. It's it's fabulous. So if you want to find out more, go to socialmedianewslive.com forward slash ecam. All right. In this final section, Beth, I really want to talk about some content strategy because you've mentioned there's a, there's a lot of different ways to do LinkedIn, um, but you know LinkedIn isn't Facebook like but you can still mix up the different types of content. Um, what types of content have you found to be the most effective for building a professional brand on LinkedIn, like especially for small business owners? Again, just like when figuring out what to say, I think about when I'm looking at the feed, what kind of content will I stop and consume? And I'm going to be different than other people. So some of it is a little experimental. Your network or the people you're connected with they may really like video. They might like mm -hmm. polls. So I do like to share different types of content to get different subsets of my network engaged. Um, but for people who are super busy and, you know, I, I could spend all day on LinkedIn, not, right. not everybody can. <laughs> so I, I would start with which, whatever kind of content you'll actually make and share and then get into some of the more interesting ones that may take longer to create. Gotcha. Um, on, on that note, before I let Connor ask his question. Um, I, so I have like, I have, I repurpose the show to the, to death and I repurpose, I, I reshare it. I have an AQ and Agora pulse, which I love for social listening and for posting things. And it actually goes and it's constantly dripping out content that I've created. I don't have that set up for LinkedIn because for some reason, I feel like if I repost content, you know, even if it's a cue that doesn't come up all the time, it's a different network. Am I right in thinking that or should I repost content that I've posted maybe in the past? What are your thoughts? So you can, depending how, you know, I wouldn't do it a week later necessarily. Right, 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 right. If it still, still applies, sure. There is some thinking and, and people in my space that look at this have said that if you share content using a tool to share content, it will get less mm, visibility. Mm. I, I tend to do it myself, so I don't worry right. about it. Um, but I don't have a problem with resharing content because we, we obsess over every little thing and we assume somebody sees every post that we do and say, well, wait a minute, she talked about that last week. Well, right. that's okay. So yeah, I mean, if it wasn't, if it's not, an overabundance of it. Like, here's my thing from a year ago. Why not? Okay. That's great advice because yeah. I've just been really nervous about for some reason. I don't know if it's because LinkedIn is more professional and you know, you don't want to, it's not really, a, you, don't, you don't want it to be a social network. You want it to be like anyway. So, but I know it's kind of evolved in the way it used to be. It was pretty much, you know, it was, it was pretty solid, you know, Microsoft nerdy, you know, kind of thing. And now it's kind of, it has become more social, there's yeah. people are really showing their, you know, personal side, which goes to this great question from Jeff. He goes, content, professional, personal, private. What is the best balance, Beth? So I think you can share professional and personal, but not private. Mm. So any, in other words, it just makes sense, right? If you don't want your content seen by the world, if you wouldn't put it up on a, a billboard on a highway, then you don't want to share it. I share, 
actually the first time I shared something that I would consider personal, I even said at the beginning of it, it was an article, I said, you know, we don't usually share at the time, we don't usually share personal stuff here, but you can't really separate your life and the world from from business. And we discovered that certainly during the pandemic, right? That right, right. everything's so connected. So my personal opinion is that personal is fine, especially if there's a reason, you know, why are you sharing this personal thing? I'll be sharing something. I share it every year on the anniversary of the, the event and it is personal, but yet mm. it, I talk about what I learned from the situation. So mm. to me, that's valuable. Okay. That's, that's great to know. Yeah. I love this comment from Jeff Young to poor post once repurpose everywhere gives a whole new meaning to pour it on. That is so awesome. And I also have to ask, Jeff, yes. do you have those, those emojis just, you know, save to a clipboard because every single comment I love, it's the praying hands and the Spock and I don't know you, but that's his I thing. feel like I do. That's right. his thing. Yeah. And I think that's so cool that, that I already know what his vibe is and, and that's all about personal brand. And I think that's important too, when we content creators are, are posting to these different platforms, right? We have a brand, we have a tone that we want to communicate in, but at the same time, we also know we shouldn't be posting the exact same post on different uh, uh, platforms. We have to craft it a little bit different, whether it's LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, whatever it might be. So when it comes to that, how would you recommend people tailoring their content specifically to LinkedIn to engage their professional network? Is it almost coming up with like a brand outline of, Hey, this is how I'm going to talk on LinkedIn. If you're writing for a business. Yeah. yeah. If you're writing for your, or communicating, however you're communicating for yourself, I don't think you have to, I think you're going to naturally communicate the way you do. Mm -hmm. It's just some of the nuances, for instance, you're not going to share a photo, not saying anything about it with 20 hashtags, yeah. like you might on another platform, right? You, you want something that, and again, going back to what would you stop and consume if you see it in the feed? Mm. Right. So you mentioned hashtags. So let's talk about that because they can be a double edged sword. Uh, you can get the wrong one. And uh, you can have it not work the way you want. I tend to like branded hashtags. Like I'll do uh, SMNL, Social Media News Live, for kind of a branded one. So if somebody clicks on it, are people really using hashtags to search on LinkedIn? How many do you use on a post? Kind of what are your thoughts about using hashtags on LinkedIn? Yeah, hashtags are kind of um, having a challenge on LinkedIn at the moment that okay. people seem to not be able to search for them. Uh, I don't know how many people did. I, I truly think even to this day that a lot of people don't understand hashtags and don't realize that they're a filter or that you can click on them and see other things that use that hashtag. I really think people just don't get them. But mm. uh, this is one of the few times where LinkedIn has actually said what the ideal number of hashtags is and they have said that it's three to five. Mm. So um, that could change, of course, tomorrow. Right. Um, I, I also use a branded hashtag and I have no clue if people click on it. But um, yeah, so they're, I, th I still think they're worthwhile. One thing I, and this again, just my personal opinion, I don't like when they're within the body of text. I find right. it harder to read. I like them at the end. Yeah, that's that's what I do as well is just to put them you know, 
a couple breaks and put them, you know, underneath there in case somebody wants to see them. Where it, I think yeah. it kind of helps brand it if you they see it every time with your posts for like the show, they know it's it's there. You know, that's just me guessing, but uh, yeah, it's very very interesting. One of the things and the reason I love doing the live show, and I was one of the first, uh, one of the first adapters of the LinkedIn Live. I was able to get in the program uh, relatively easy. Jim Fuse helped me get into that, by the way, and. Um, I love it because like right now I can pull up comments from Dustin over on YouTube and Jeff who's watching on LinkedIn. I love the engagement. That's why I do this show every week. I, I will otherwise just do a YouTube video. But so I, I love doing this where I can take questions and, and I see Annette has, you know, she's just said that like brand hashtags helps find our posts. I love all, I love talking to people. So engagement is this buzzword that everybody says you got to do on social, in the social media world. So how can solopreneurs and small business owners boost their engagement on LinkedIn posts? Because I think that's where the magic happens is when you are able to talk and go back and forth with each other. How can we, how can we boost that engagement without doing, you know, the things we talked about before, like tagging people and annoying people, but really trying to get people to talk to us on LinkedIn. There are numerous ways, but one of the first ways may seem a little counterintuitive, but it's actually to engage with other people's content before sharing your own. So it's kind of like, hey, I'm joining your conversation. And then when you share content, it seems like more people will see it. So that's one of the things. And especially if you're in a regulated industry or something like that, mm -hmm. where you're allowed to comment, but you, it takes you three weeks to get your post through compliance. Um, the other thing is, again, sharing content that is interesting, that is inspirational, educational. And can you pose a question? Can you pose something that asking for people's thoughts or opinions, and that will get people to engage with the content? Awesome. Speaking of engaging yeah. with content, this is why I love having people in the comments watching and talking. Uh, Jeff says, folks still don't realize you can follow any hashtag. I did not know that, that you could do that on LinkedIn. So yeah. go follow uh, Beth's hashtag, follow my hashtag. That's, that's a great tip. Thanks, Jeff. All right, Connor, you got it. So, you know, LinkedIn has has all these features and we're starting to see a rise as Jeff was talking about a little bit more in LinkedIn's video and live streaming features. I think that this can be for someone who was just posting, you know, blog posts or uh, social posts on LinkedIn with maybe an image or two here or writing articles on LinkedIn or, or even doing the newsletters. That's all words and that's all typey typey, right? <laughs> so a, a video component or even a live stream component can, can seem like this really big beast to conquer, but a lot of people are interested in doing it. So how do you see uh, content creators, uh, uh, leveraging these tools. Um, how can they leverage them to stand out and provide value to their audience? Oh, so many ways. Um, <laughs> I think, I think there are people who are a little afraid of live video, Yeah. but if you can get over that, just do it. Because even if you don't have a lot of people that join you live, that's content that you can repurpose have replays, chop it up, use it for other things. I think it's a wonderful thing. Plus people don't think about the fact that you can invite anybody to be your guest. So it's a way to reach out to somebody. If you yeah. want it, if you, if there's someone you've always wanted to speak with, invite them on your, on your LinkedIn live show or you, to join you for a LinkedIn audio event. Um, it's, it's certainly a way to support your network too. When I, when I first started doing LinkedIn lives, 
it was during early during the beta period for a year and a half i went live every week interviewing people in my network so not famous people just people that i knew essentially introducing them to my larger network mm. well That's we've cool. got <laughs> we've got uh, annette going preach uh, Beth Granger. So yeah, so Thank you, uh, you got some fans. So look, you just mentioned something and I we haven't really talked much about it is the LinkedIn audio kind of it was the clubhouse thing. And that was really popular, especially around the pandemic. Are people still using that? And how can um, I guess somebody who doesn't really want to get, you know, camera ready, I know this takes a long time to glue on uh, every morning, but if they don't want to get camera ready, how can they talk about this LinkedIn audio? Cause I, I, I did some of them when they first started, but I haven't done them in a while. So talk about some things that we may be overlooking. Well, it is very much like clubhouse, but it's on LinkedIn. People are still doing them. Um, sometimes what I like about them is you can join them from wherever you are. So there are times where I'll just listen into one in the car or whatever mm. it might be. And conversation is so incredibly powerful. You you never know who you'll meet because you can see who else is participating. You can send them a message or connect with them if it makes sense. And um, the power of conversation to change the world, it's, it's there. So I think it's a, a wonderful thing. I haven't personally done one in a while, but that's more of a time right. time thing than anything else. Do you start them like a live? Do you kind of just, do you, I mean, like, how do you, how do you, would you promote an audio event on LinkedIn? So I've done it both ways. I've done it where you make an event and it's an audio event and you promote it ahead of time and invite people, et cetera. And then I've done random ones where I just think of something I want to talk about and I quickly make it and go live. I think if you do it ahead of time, you're going to get more people because you can promote it to all your channels. Right. So once again, I have so many ideas. Um, how, cause I don't, I don't think I do cause I do this through a, a, when I schedule my, my live show, the events, let's talk about events. Cause you said, put it inside of a, an event, like you can do live LinkedIn live through underneath an event and also this audio in an event. Talk about the difference between just going live and actually putting it in an event, because I think, I may be doing something wrong. Like maybe I should have an event every week and put it inside of there. What are your thoughts on creating a LinkedIn event? The dilemma is that, like I mentioned before, I think the event feature is a little quirky, shall right. we say, and, and, <laughs> okay. it, and it's time consuming. And so that there are people who may not just don't have the time or the energy to, to do that kind of thing. Um, but it certainly is, It'll make it, the event more findable. And again, you can promote it ahead of time, that kind of thing. So if you can, I'd, so it's always good to do the event with time in between to promote it. Gotcha. So I, I would say, so I always thought like if I was going to do a webinar or a free training, that's maybe when I want to do kind of an event more so I can push it out and have a couple of weeks before to, to push it. So, wow, this has been fascinating. Um, yeah. Wow. The time has flown by and you guys asked such great questions. Um, did I, did I forget anything? Was there something I should have asked you, Beth, that I like the, the huge landmine that's going to blow up my face if I don't follow your advice. Is there another one that I missed? Any oh, I mean, there are so many, but <laughs> you know, like I said, if you're in a room with people, how would you behave? Yeah, Don't do right. something that would make somebody walk away from you. Gotcha. Connor, did you hear that? 
I heard that. Hey. That happened good to know a couple of years ago. That's thank right. You. <laughs> just, you can't make up those those time, that time. Well, Beth, thank you so much for this. I want to have enough time for you to tell everybody what you got going on, where people can find you, all of that, and uh, you know, push up some of your services. And by the way, she does have an incredible LinkedIn profile. So if you don't do anything else, go follow her and connect with her over on LinkedIn. But Beth, go right ahead. Sure. Well, of course, I'm on LinkedIn, Beth Granger. And I have a website. I honestly don't use my website all that much. I'm on some other social media platforms, but really the, the places to find me are my website and on LinkedIn. Awesome. Connor Brown, the unsinkable Connor Brown, where can people find out about you and your services as well? You can head over to WDWOpinion.com to learn about all of my vacation planning services. You can follow me on social media at WDWOpinion across all the platforms on LinkedIn. Search R as in Ronald Connor Brown. I'm going to start calling you Ronald every week. Yes. And I wanted to give a big shout out because look at this. We've got uh, your fan club here, Beth. Jeff says, thanks for featuring Beth as fellas. She is top notch. I would agree, Jeff. Thank you for all the great comments. Annette, thank you for stopping by. All of our folks who, Dustin and Jim and Janet, everybody who watched and commented today, thank you. We would not be able to do this show without you guys. It makes uh, Friday so much fun for Connor and I and our guests to come on. Appreciate Beth for being on here. And with that, we thank you guys. Don't forget our sponsors, Ecamm. You can find out more about them at socialmedianewslive.com forward slash Ecamm. And with that, we'll see you guys next time. Bye, everybody. Social Media, Social Media News Live.